Welcome to the third episode of Let Go and Let's Go. Start building your dream life today. During season one, we're answering the question, why am I so tired and exhausted all the time? And in this episode, we'll explore walking away from games that disconnect us from our intuition and drain our energy. I'm Amanda Harvey Love, a whole human being who also happens to be a spirituality-centered life coach, a certified elementary school teacher and librarian, a mother to teenagers, a married person for nearly 20 years, a millennial, and a business owner. Just a quick reminder before we get started that I am a certified life coach, but listening to this podcast doesn't make me your life coach. All podcast content is for educational and inspirational purposes only. I encourage all listeners to speak with the appropriate expert, such as their doctor, therapist, lawyer, or accountant, before making changes to their lives based on the information or inspiration I share. Now, let's get going. This episode is sponsored by my live masterclass happening on Thursday, April 14th, 2022, called Joyfully Let Go of Common Avoidant Behaviors. It's all about how we can start gradually and joyfully changing our relationship with alcohol, social media, the news cycle, and whatever else keeps so many of us exhausted and stuck. The live masterclass and workbook are free if you sign up before April 14th, 2022. Come check it out at joyfullyletgo.com and start taking giant leaps toward the life you've always dreamed of. Yesterday was a gorgeous sunny day and I was walking with my friend catching up after too many weeks of not seeing each other. In the midst of our conversation, she calculated that she started her first teaching job 15 years ago. She and I started teaching at the same time and at the same school. That's why we know each other. And so I jumped in with, um, it's 2022. We started our first teaching jobs 18 years ago. Her response was, no, I refuse to accept that. And we laughed and kept walking and talking. While many of my friends and family members, including this friend, have found schools they loved and have stayed on as teachers there for 10, 15, or even nearly 40 years, the longest I've stayed in one school was five years. I always wanted classroom teaching to be my creative outlet, and it always was. But along the way, I met varying degrees of resistance to my creativity, even from one year to another within the same school. So I became a school librarian, thinking that the absence of required curriculum would allow more room for my creativity and my ability to provide choices and freedom to the children who entered my space. Although I tried my hardest to hold the line on these goals, I don't feel that I was very successful. As a result, over the past 10 years or so, I've been dreaming up ways to reinvent school so it would be a more welcoming and creative place for kids and teachers alike. I considered how I could have an impact, and along the way, I've considered opening my own school, becoming a principal, becoming a superintendent at the district or state level, or even becoming secretary of education somehow. I'm very curious, so I really and truly dug into how to make any of that happen, and I just didn't feel like any of those options were paths I wanted to take. 
Once I decided not to try to climb the ladder, I started trying out various types of schools. I've worked in religious schools, private schools, and public schools, including magnet and choice programs. Even in the most creative school environments, students and teachers had more and more limited choices as the years went on and new superintendents or principals took over. Although when I was at the schools, teachers were able to spend a good portion of the day letting the students complete project-based work together, now almost every school spends several weeks each year taking online standardized assessments, and in between those assessments, kids are doing a lot of online reading and math programs that prepare them for those assessments instead of using that time to actually read (laughs) or collaborate to solve fun and interesting math problems based on real life. Lately, we made a change to one of my kids' education paths, and as a result, I've been listening to many podcasts and reading several books about unschooling and de-schooling. Nicolai Pizarro is at Raising Readers on Instagram, and her focus is on helping families de-center school in their lives, even if they can't homeschool their kids. Today, I heard her being interviewed on the Unschool Files, and she mentioned that as part of her coaching, she often just tells parents that they don't have to do it. They don't have to do school. They don't have to make their kids do the homework. They don't have to care about their kids' grades. The compulsory part of school is the attendance part, and the rest is optional. They can instead center their relationship with their family. I know that kind of thinking would have frustrated me as a teacher even five years ago, and I also think we all know she's right. Honoring our children as people and prioritizing our relationships with them will absolutely serve them more than forcing them to complete five hours of homework each night or emphasizing other people's judgments of them in the form of grades. Nikolai's ideas played right into what I was already dreaming up for this episode, thinking through the fact that we're often so exhausted because we're playing games that society says we have to play, but that we don't actually have to play at all to live happy, healthy, fulfilling lives. In fact, playing these games will often disconnect us from ourselves and drain our energy, so we don't have anything left to create the life we actually would prefer. Before I go into some of the games we don't have to play and their replacements, I want to clarify a few things I brought up in previous episodes. In episode one about acknowledging our grief, I mentioned letting go of SFBs, stereotypical feminine behaviors. I've been in a lot of environments where women were dismissed as capable leaders because of the existence of stereotypical feminine behaviors. I want to be super clear that I've seen men engage in perfectionism, gossip, and controlling behavior just as much as women. My point in bringing that up was that I do feel that women are marginalized because of those stereotypes, and at the same time, some women feel obligated to fit into those stereotypes. I found it to be freeing to let go of trying to engage in those behaviors and instead engage in the divine feminine behaviors of creating, bestowing blessings, and flowing with our lives. That has saved me a ton of energy for things I really feel good doing. 
In episode two, I shared my journey of changing my relationship with alcohol, and I mentioned that when I went to a psychiatrist, I told her I didn't really want meds and asked for more natural alternatives. I do believe in being mindful and safe when it comes to prescription drugs, but I want to make it clear that they help many, many people in my life, and I am all for them to the extent that they help people. At times, I wonder if I should look into them to help me with anxiety or attention concerns. It's a journey I'm on and something I still consider. I also think it's just as okay for a person to be cautious in accepting prescriptions as it is that a person would take medications to help them for most of their life. Mental health is part of our overall health. And in general, I believe in trying lots of solutions to our biggest challenges in life, including health challenges. Okay, I hope that makes things a little more clear. Thanks so much for hearing me out. Here are nine unfun games that we're expected to play in our society, followed by my idea for a replacement game to create a brighter and more beautiful society for us all. This list was really fun to create, and I hope you enjoy it. Number one, Whack-A-Mole. This is a game that used to be at a place called Fun Factory when I was a kid. The player holds a huge mallet and giant mechanical stuffed animal heads pop up randomly. The goal is to hit each animal before it goes back into the machine. The reward for hitting the stuffed animal is that the game goes faster and faster. The punishment for missing too many is that you get to stop playing. I never played it more than once during a visit to the arcade. It was too stressful. We live in a world where too many of us are doing far too much. We're constantly putting out fires or staying too busy. As a teacher, I constantly ran into other teachers who bragged about how hard they worked and how long they stayed at school. For what? In my estimation, the longer they worked, the less they were paid, and we were already paid too little. Here's my suggested alternative. This game is called Sit and Breathe. (laughs) This game is way more fun. We should all start playing it several times per day. Not only does breathing give us back our energy, but sitting and breathing helps us reconnect with our intuition. And when we reconnect with our intuition, we realize that those moles went back into the machine even if we didn't hit them with the mallet fast enough. So many things we try to control will take care of themselves, and then we have more time to sit and breathe. Two, the rat race. I live in a fast-paced city on the West Coast, and my friend is from a mid-sized city in South Carolina. She's one of my favorite people for so many reasons. When my family moved back here after living in North Carolina for a few years, I immediately felt disconnected and too far away from everyone I loved, including the people in this city, but she often found ways to help me and my family. One time she mentioned that it feels like people in this city are too caught up in the rat race. It was such an exact description of where the disconnection I was feeling came from. Everyone is trying to get promoted and make more money and buy bigger houses and more expensive cars and have the most impressive friends and have the smartest and most athletic kids who they run around to the most activities. I was still feeling myself being sucked into that way of being. The questions I started asking myself were, who are they racing? (laughs) 
And what's the prize for winning? I learned about people who worked 100 hours or more per week. What? Why? I couldn't really figure out the answers, and most people who appeared to be winning the rat race seemed so unhappy when I looked a little closer. So here's the new game I'm suggesting, especially for people in cities, but really for people anywhere. It's called Slow Down. (laughs) There's not actually a race happening, so there's no trophy at the end. You'll get to the end of the race and you'll be dead just like everyone else. Instead, we can all slow down, see and smell some roses, or, you know, taste our delicious food. We can say thank you and listen to other people's ideas. We can reclaim our energy and do things we choose to do instead of things our neighbors think we should do. Slow down. (laughs) Number three, shoots and ladders. This is a board game covered in slides and ladders. If you land at the bottom of a ladder, you get to jump way ahead in the game. But if you land at the top of a slide, you have to go back a bunch of spaces. Our society is set up like a huge ladder, like I mentioned in episode one when I talked about Sonia Renee Taylor. This ladder analogy came to me from her. It's super unfair and random, but also extremely predictable, who can access the top of society's ladder and who is stuck in the middle or at the bottom. But the worst part is we step on each other to get to the top. We accept that the game has to be played, that the ladder is necessary. There's a huge problem right now with people just stealing other people's ideas and claiming them as their own. I recently saw a famous white guy act as if he came up with the idea of ancestors and being a good ancestor without giving any credit to Layla F. Saad or any of the numerous cultures that actually consider and revere ancestors, unlike white culture in America that barely considers people who came before us unless they left us a monetary inheritance. It was so obvious that he, someone who is well-liked and sells thousands or millions of books, had an opportunity to point his audience to someone who has her own wisdom to share, and instead, he took her ideas and pretended they were his. Yes, I'm probably more bothered by this because I'm a librarian, but also it's happened to me and to my friends. It usually seems to happen to women, and we don't want to cause trouble by calling attention to it. Another problem with chutes and ladders is that too often, when we see others heading down a chute, we just let them fall and express our condemnation or pity. Here's a new game that's way more fun. I call it Boost and Point. I considered calling it Burn and Point because the ladder should never have been built. Maybe we should burn it down. But it does exist, and it feels like serious gaslighting when people say it doesn't, so I don't want to lead to any confusion. Until there is true equity and inclusion in our world, if we're higher up on the ladder and have the option of assisting someone else, we really should use our energy and money to boost them up. And the idea of pointing came from Abby Wambach's Wolfpack book. She mentioned that when she would make a goal in a soccer game, she would turn and point to all the people who helped make that goal happen. We should all be doing that all the time. It feels so much better than claiming credit for things and assisting that we're self-made or whatever. Number four, trivial pursuit. 
also known as working way too hard to be a know-it-all. Instead, we might try playing a game called Beginner's Mind after the Buddhist idea of working to see everything as if we know nothing at all. Because it's kind of true. (laughs) When I was a teenager, I would sometimes challenge my parents or become very stubborn. I did that as a child, and I still do it. (laughs) But once I became a teenager, I remember my dad, who's from Texas, saying, Well, one thing I found is that the older you get, the less you know. Accepting that instead of trying to stay up to date on the news or gossip or award winners or other trivia is so freeing. The daily trip meditation from Jeff Warren on the Calm app today involved practice saying, don't know, don't need to know. It's a very relaxing practice, and I highly recommend spending time each day with that in mind. I also think it's totally fine if something comes up in a conversation that I don't have an opinion on to just say that leave the room, or ask for more information if I want to discuss it. Proving that we know the most is exhausting and unnecessary and not a game most people in the room usually want to play anyway. Number five, beauty pageant. (laughs) Okay, so I was doing some research and I guess there was an actual board game in the 70s called Miss America Pageant. I don't know how it's played, but I do know how society expects us to play beauty pageant. It goes like this. Look as much like a Scandinavian supermodel as possible and don't get old. The new game is called Honoring My Temple. Every day we thank our body for sustaining us. We treat it with respect so it can keep carrying us body, mind, spirit, and soul through the rest of our lives. We honor its history, with gratitude and love. We never punish it or speak to it unkindly. We recognize it as the temple of our holy and connected spirit and treat it as such for all the days of our life. Number six, jigsaw puzzle. In this game, we try to fit ourselves perfectly into the opening we see in a group of other people. It usually means we lose an essential part of ourselves because we don't actually fit in the way we're pretending to fit. The game I suggest instead is called Belonging Starts With Me. (laughs) A few months ago, I read a book from a long time ago by Louise Hay. She had some ideas that I thought were kind of weird, but one good idea was to say to ourselves many, many times per day, I approve of myself. I mean, yeah, sometimes we all do things we're not proud of, and we should apologize and make things right. But on the whole, we need to approve of ourselves and not worry as much about other people's approval. We need to belong to ourselves and approve of ourselves instead of worrying so much about fitting in. Belonging to ourselves is an idea I picked up from Brene Brown, and I'll discuss that more in a few minutes. Number seven. Apples to Apples is probably one of my favorite games. Each round, there's a judge, and everyone else tries to get the judge to choose their card as the best match for the category. When you're actually playing the game, everyone takes a turn being the judge. It's fun to have power for a minute, and it's also fun to try to trick the judge into choosing your card. In real life, certain people get to decide what's cool or important or smart or successful, and the rest of the people have to always try to impress those people with power and try to align with them. I have not found that to be fun, (laughs) but instead to be stressful and even impossible. 
So I've created a new game called Find the Inner Guidance. I make sure to also play Sit and Breathe and Slow Down, so I'm ready to play Find the Inner Guidance. Playing Find the Inner Guidance lets me let go of any internal or external critics who are getting in the way of my becoming who I'm really here to be. Number eight, the game of life. Okay, I don't think I've actually ever played this game, but I know that you roll dice or draw cards or land on spaces and you're randomly dealt things like a family and a career. I think you win if you have a full family and make the most money and have the most impressive job like doctor or something. (laughs) When I was a kid, there were pink pegs for girl kids and blue pegs for boy kids, maybe for the adults too. It's a lot like the rat race, but it's even more about following a prescribed path to success, including fitting gender roles. I haven't found that to work out for people. I find that people are happier when they're following their intuition and don't worry quite so much about being who others think they should be. And I propose replacing the game of life with one called following my intuition. Number nine, trouble. I don't know how to play this game at all, but I don't like the name and suggest that we replace it with a game called Flowing Ease. In a podcast course I'm taking, I'll link it in the show notes in case you're interested, I met Janan Sung from Moon Lotus on Instagram, and she's been posting a lot about how life doesn't have to be a struggle. That's part of the Hopi Elders prophecy that inspired my podcast name. It says, banish the word struggle from your attitude and vocabulary. All that we do now must be done in a sacred manner and in celebration. None of that is supposed to be confused with toxic positivity. I still believe that it's healthy and good to recognize and name our struggles when they come up. But some people seem to believe that all of life is by nature a struggle, and I disagree with that. I believe we're here to thrive, grow, flow with our lives, and experience joy and ease. Number 10, Battleship. Instead, I propose a game called Maybe Let's Stop Bombing People, Literally and Figuratively. Now it's time for my Always the Librarian segment, where I point to the prophets, mothers, and teachers in my life. The book I'm sharing today and linking in the show notes is Braving the Wilderness, The Quest for True Belonging, and the Courage to Stand Alone by Brene Brown, Ph.D. I don't think this was one of her more popular books, but I really loved it and received it at exactly the right time for me. So I trust that some of you are hearing about it at exactly the right time, too. A couple of weeks ago, I was texting with my 80-year-old mother-in-law about the new Disney movie Encanto, and maybe somewhat separately about the feeling of being an outcast in a family. I can give you a laundry list of reasons I've felt alone in the world, from starting to have kids at 24 in a city where most people wait until at least 35 or 40, to never exactly aligning with the beliefs of my church, family, other parents at my kids' school, political parties, or my profession. 
just like Encanto, spoke straight to my heart and made me feel seen and needed, despite the fact that my gifts aren't always welcome or obvious to others. Braving the wilderness helped me start to embrace the parts of me that I kept hidden because other people would certainly reject me and marginalize me if they knew these parts of me existed. It helped me to see the importance and payoff of finding belonging in myself and with myself and then starting to share the hidden me with others. But most importantly, the biggest truth I've found since putting what I learned from the book into practice is that when we venture out into the wilderness, we'll find that there are already people there waiting to welcome us. Oh, isn't that the most beautiful thing? (laughs) I hope you'll seek out Braving the Wilderness from your local library or independent bookstore. I think you'll really love it. And I hope it encourages you to venture out into the wilderness with me sometimes. It's kind of fun out here and definitely liberating. Each week, I share some self-inquiry prompts to help us reflect and apply the ideas I've shared in this episode. If you're driving or out on your walk, you can just listen, but I do believe writing down our thoughts gives our reflections more staying power, and I encourage everyone to journal about these this week sometime. They're on the show notes too if you want to see them written down. Remember to get really cozy and comfortable, if you can, before reflecting and journaling. 1. How can I start to walk away from some of society's games that aren't fun, drain my energy, and disconnect me from my intuition? 2. Have I ever wandered into the wilderness? Who else did I meet while I was there? Three, when can I create time to sit and breathe each day? Four, following Nikolai Pizarro's lead, how can I center my relationships with loved ones and start to decenter society's expectations of us? Five, how can I start pointing to and giving credit and financial or other tangible support to people who are closer to the ground on society's ladder without asking for anything in return? Thanks so much for listening to Let Go and Let's Go today. Don't forget to visit joyfullyletgo.com to sign up for this week's free masterclass. You can check out letgoandletsgo.com to find any resources I mentioned and view the complete show notes for this episode. Please take a minute to follow, subscribe, and leave a review on your favorite podcast app. If you'd like to check in before next week, you can find me, Amanda Harvey Love, on Instagram at Bright and Beautiful Society. Either way, I hope this week brings you rest, peace, and many blessings. Bye for now.